in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon. Welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground of mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is 1 Samuel 17, verses 33 through 37. Sal replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Sal, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord will be with you. My guest today is Laura Jones. She's the author of Song of a Wounded Heart. She is an inspirational speaker, and she lives in liberal Kansas. And I am thrilled to share with all of you that she's actually sitting with me here in our little studio high in the hills of Happy Valley. It is so beautiful here. Oh, good. That's fun. And she's been to Oregon before. So this wasn't her first foray, but had not been up to the hills of Happy Valley. So welcome, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you. I am joyed to be here. Excellent. Joyed is a Rex excellent word. Okay, so I just want to dive right in and give the readers, actually the listeners, we'll give the listeners and the readers, either way they look mm-hmm. at it there, we'll give them the, the, the backstory of you and how you are so amazing. I, I just look at you and I think, wow, how can you be sitting here and how can you be smiling and how can you be who you are? So this is in her book and here's a couple pieces just for you to digest. It was Thanksgiving time in 2004 and my family and I were headed home for the holidays. It was a delightful evening as we traveled. The kids cheered from the back seat as the rain turned to snow. School was out. We were heading to Grandma's, and it was snowing. It doesn't get any better than that. I fell asleep to the sound of giggling in the back seat as my children teased and played with each other. But when I awoke, my whole life had changed. We had been in an accident. My husband was dead. My son was dead, and my daughter would die later that night. I left the hospital the next day with injuries, nothing life-threatening, but without the family I loved so dearly. In the coming months, I would have to move. I would quit my employment as the church secretary, and I would begin the long journey of finding answers from my God. With all of my identity gone and my heart full of sorrow, fear, anger, and intense loneliness, I had only one place to look for answers. He slowly began to answer my questions. He taught me how to find strength and what it means to forgive. Most of all, he showed me how to want to live again. Healing for pain doesn't come by eliminating sorrow. It comes from allowing joy to re-enter a life of pain. In that realization, I began to find hope, and the embers of love are beginning to be fanned into flame. 
I just look at you and you're this sweet, lovely presence. And you are a living testament to how God really works in our lives. He does. He absolutely, he, he holds on to all of the pieces of our heart and he doesn't lose any of them. He doesn't drop any of them. He doesn't forget where he left you. He holds on to you and little by little, he begins to put those pieces all back together, mending them until your heart works again. So with insurmountable pain in this world, especially in your world, how do you do it? Well, that's that's a whole book worth of stories. It sure right? is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but one moment at a time. In the very beginning, it was just waking up, choosing to get out of bed, and choosing to talk to my God about whatever was going through my mind. I think that we put some restrictions on what we're willing to talk to God about and we we shouldn't. We can't. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. So just open your heart and start pouring it out to him. I had a, I was surrounded by a lot of good people who took a lot of time with me. One of them said over and over again, no matter what I said, he said, it's okay to feel that way. And that helped a lot. It, it gave me permission to speak it. And I learned, because I could speak it to him, I learned how to speak it to God wrestle with him, fight with him, cry on his shoulder, sit with him, with God. His presence was was very tangible. I think when we don't have anything left of ourselves, which I didn't, um, you find that God is, it really is what you need. So a lot of it was that, and, and it was also choosing to keep believing in him. Was that questioned for you ever? I don't think that it, well, one day I had a friend of mine who was a believer say, so are you going to keep believing in this God that let this happen? And it it was kind of like cold water in my face. Like it hadn't occurred to me I could walk away from him if I wanted to. And I was wrestling with him and mad at him, but I still knew he existed because I had heard him. And... And my first thought was, holy cow, that's how, this is how this happens. I've been a pastor's wife for 20 years at that point, and I've watched people walk away from God before and not understood why. And all of a sudden I thought, well, this is why, because God allows something that you don't think he should have, or he doesn't do what you thought he should, and you just walk away. And then in the second thought, I I was overcome almost with fear, I think would be the right word of, okay, let me think just for a minute what that would look like if I walk away from God. That would mean I'm choosing to believe there is no God. There's nobody going to help me do this. There's no life after this one. That's no promise of any sort of hope. It would be letting go of the only thing I've got. No way. And that choice was pretty monumental for me, I think. I'm glad that he asked the question because it took me to that crossroads that I was at, and I chose to believe. How did you hear him? How did he speak to you? It's really a very miraculous story. When I woke up, um, I'd been knocked out in the accident. I was asleep, for one thing, 
and then was knocked out in the crash. So when I woke up thinking I was just waking up from being asleep, not realizing I'd been out, it took a while for me to just absorb what I was seeing. So while I'm looking around, trying to wake up my husband, letting it sink into my head that we had been in an accident, I heard this song start playing in my head. It's kind of strange to think that at that moment, music would be on my mind. And I knew, I just knew down in my gut, it was God talking to me, singing to me. It was a song that I had heard before but didn't know. I didn't know the words. I didn't know what would come next. I had just heard it like it was new on the radio. Music kind of sticks in my head. It's the way my brain works. So I think that's why God used music that night. So the first part of it that I heard was, Do Not Be Afraid. And I heard it over and over again like a stuck record. And later, later, I realized that every time in the Bible when it, angel appears or when God appears to one of these people, he nearly always starts with, do not be afraid, because that's our reaction when we, we sense God. So I think that the whole place was surrounded by his angels and by his presence. I didn't recognize that. What I was feeling was enormous fear. His presence coming into that gave me something to hang on to, and I thought, you're here, what are you doing? And then they they started putting me on a backboard and taking me out of the vehicle, and I was puzzled by that. I felt like I was hurt worse than everybody, hurt less than everybody else. And they said, no, we're taking you first. And at that point, I heard the next phrase of the song, which is, the voice of truth says, this is for my glory. And I thought, okay, you're here, and that means this is going to be okay. If this is for your glory, you're going to do something miraculous. I didn't really have the cognitive ability to figure it out. I just thought that meant God was doing something. So they take me on to this little hospital of maybe a mile away in the ambulance and take our daughter 45 minutes away the opposite direction to a trauma center. And so I'm waiting for that ambulance to come back and get me also. At that point, a chaplain comes to the foot of my bed and he says, your son and your husband didn't survive and we don't think your daughter will live through the night. And I just... I felt like my eyes were silver dollars and just wide open in shock, and I didn't know how to absorb what he was saying. And right then, the chorus concluded to that song. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. So in the middle of all of this trauma going on and this beautiful gift given to you, did you clearly hear the words, and were you able to remember them as time went on, or did this come back to you, or this just was so present and alive in your life, it just stuck with you? It stuck. I knew. Oh. I knew it was God. Did you ever run those verses past people to see if this was a song that was on the radio a lot, or maybe this was something you were flashing back to? Yes, it- the next day, as my family came to pick me up, my extended family came to pick me up, 
from the hospital. I was just there overnight, and I asked them to find the song. And it, it's The Voice of Truth by Casting Crowns. Were they readily available to find this, or was this... Yes. Uh, so it just was... And had yeah. you had heard the song before? I had heard it on the radio. That's mm-hmm. why it seemed familiar, but I didn't know the words. And it was new in 2004. Yeah. Do you find that while you go through your days that music, that other songs of comfort, is that a big piece on how you work through this? Yes, it is. And the book, in nearly every chapter, tells the lyrics of a song that mattered during those next 10 years. Because it's a long journey from then to where I am today. It's been almost 15 years now since the accident. It's not an overnight thing. When the the songs that you're listing here in the chapters, did you find that they um, really speak to what you were going through? Or was this actually music and lyrics that came to you while you were actually living through this? For the Voice of Truth, it was lyrics that came to me. The rest of them were songs that, while I was listening to them on the radio, um, they spoke to me. So you've always been a woman of faith, and this definitely challenged your faith, and you didn't give up on God. And that's interesting that your friend did say to you, well, how can you still love this almighty person who's supposed to be a father, who's supposed to be providing for you, and now his wipe this out so uh, so you've kept your faith because like i appreciate what you're saying about how but you have this gift you have somebody invisibly holding your hand why would i want to throw that away Mm -hmm. and you and him walked together for the following weeks Mm -hmm. what was that like well for many weeks um just getting up and getting dressed was pretty monumental. Maybe I would read the mail, the cards that came in the mail. Those Mm -hmm. mattered to me as well. The community around me really took care of me. Because my husband was a pastor in the the town that we lived in, um, all of the churches in the town helped take care of me. Just pastors would come by and visit. People would come by and visit. It was a long, long time before I had an entire day where nobody came. Long time. Did you find that healing, or was that ever invasive? Oh, I think both. In the very beginning, it it almost felt like a parade, and there was a point where I had to say, okay, please tell everybody to stay away just for a few days. Let me breathe a minute. Let me lose control without feeling like everybody's watching. But after that, it wasn't like a parade anymore. It's just that sometime during the day, somebody was going to check on me. And that was very helpful. Because eating especially was really hard to do alone when I was used to preparing for children or taking care of a husband. And there was nobody to do anything for anymore. And it was terribly difficult to do it for myself. So... Having somebody stop by, bring me food, take me somewhere, those things really helped. Yeah, you had to figure out your new normal. And I can see how being the head of a family and taking care of everything domestically, like you say, you lose your purpose. Right. 
Wow. And then being the pastor's wife, how did that affect your relationship in the church since you're no longer the pastor's wife? Yeah, I was also the church secretary, which I didn't think I didn't go back to that job. It just wasn't emotionally possible for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I continued attending the same church for two or three years before I moved away, moved back home to where my mom was, my siblings, and my husband's family lived. Um, but for those first two or three years, I needed especially my children's friends. I wanted to be around them. And they were a safe place for me. The teenagers were a safe place for me. Interesting. I think teenagers always figure that they are the least liked and they're the most in the way. Yeah. But like you're saying, that was actually good. How could teenagers who are possibly listening to this help someone who's going through grief in a situation? What did they do that helped you? They were not afraid to ask me questions. They were not afraid if I cried. They, they wanted to think it out loud, too. And adults, we kind of have these natural boundaries we're afraid to stir up emotion. And emotion was already stirred. I remember I remember regularly adults would say something to me, usually a memory or I miss this or whatever. And I would start to cry. And they would say, see, I, did, I didn't mean to make you cry. And I just found that so silly. Like, you didn't make me cry. An accident <laughs> made me cry. Life is making me cry. You just gave me permission to cry. And teenagers didn't worry about all that. If I started crying, they just curled up beside me and cried with me. You know, and adults don't do that with as much ease. I'm speaking with Laura Jones. She's written the book Song of a Wounded Heart, Regaining Hope and Trust After Personal Tragedy, The Incredible True Life Story of a Woman Who Lost Everything. What is your hope for this book? I want people to pick up that book, read the story, and find themselves in the story because I don't have the corner of the market on pain. There's pain behind every door in this nation that we live in or this world. So I want you to take your story to those pages and experience it with me and in the process find a way to find God for your own story. And has that helped you cherish the memories of your family members and continue to have people say their name and celebrate their lives? Oh, my, yes. It is a wonderful treasure when somebody still remembers. Yes. And I see on the website you have your stories, you have pictures, and you have words about them. Explain, was putting that together painful, or did that feel like a celebration of your love for them? Both. (laughs) Both. That's one thing about a healed heart. It doesn't lose the pain that's inside. It just also laughs. Joy and pain sitting side by side. That's, that's what you have to allow it, your heart to do in order to find healing. And you're active with ministries with the church. You get together with retreats and peoples. Yes. What I love to do I, I'm an inspirational speaker now, so I speak in churches of all denominations across the United States, any place where I'm invited. But my favorite thing to do is when a church is hosting a women's retreat, and then they invite me to come and speak. So I get to spend the weekend with a group of women, hear their stories, share my story, 
watch the light bulbs come on in their eyes. That's my favorite thing. I'm curious about that. Is that in a like a round robin forum? Are you inside a like convention hall in someone's house? What does that look like? Yes. Everything. <laughs> Every church creates their own space, you know. So the women's retreat that I did last weekend in New Mexico was a little church in southwest Kansas who found this uh, place where hunters generally go and rent this facility, and then they go out on big hunts. But this group of women met at that facility out in the middle of the hills of, let's see, that would be northeastern New Mexico. Beautiful, beautiful place. And just spending three days together, getting to know each other, shopping in the afternoon and studying the scriptures in the morning and the evening. But then other events are, yes, more at, at conference centers or or big auditoriums. And some are tiny, just meeting in a little country church. And I like all of that. But my favorite are the smaller ones because you really get to know the people. I find that true. I, I, I talk a lot about natural burial with people. And it's fun to be in an auditorium or a movie theater and have all the seats filled and have all these people and faces. But I really like it when I do some presentation, maybe at a library, and there's four people there. And what I can open it up and say is, wonderful, you know, you got dressed, you came, this is important, this <laughs> is great. I want to answer all your specific questions. And we really, yes. I sit and we just really, they can tell me their story and what they want to know and learn rather than have to hear me present. And I think I hear what you're saying there about the smaller, you get to know faces, stories, and you really get to feel like when that person left, they don't feel like, oh, well, it was a dud event because three of us showed up. It's like, no, they won the prize by getting you all to themselves. Yes. To watch that spark of hope come back into eyes that came weary. Yeah. And, the, and that's not me. That's God doing that. It's just wonderful when he gives us a, a ringside seat. What have been some unexpected things that have come your way that people have maybe acts of kindness, acts of service, um, again, more lyrics, just what has come to you that has been just so soulful and godful that you, yeah, makes you just happy to be here? Oh, wow. You know, it really has been a journey to be happy to be here. I think that was the biggest um, roadblock for me. Learning how to trust God is one thing. Being glad that He left me behind has been a totally different one. And mm -hmm. that, that journey was very difficult. When I moved away from Miami, Oklahoma, which is where I was at the point of the accident, and moved to southwest Kansas, where I live now, and tried to, okay, now I have to start life, I guess. you. I mean, just, just stuttering with it, really. It's the first job that I took, took it at a church. All of a sudden, the loneliness of trying to do this just swallowed me. And some, a child actually asked me through, through her mother, asked, Are you, did you say thank you to God? And I thought, what? Hmm. What? And her mother explained, she wants to know if you're glad you're alive. And that just unleashed some anger that was deep down in my soul that I didn't even realize was still there. And this was three years after the accident. 
so that began a whole nother journey. These stories are in the book as well of learning how to embrace life and to be thankful to be alive. So now what kinds of things make me thankful to be alive? It's, it's when I watch somebody get it, understand that this God loves them and will help them too. That's what matters to me. And would you say you've made it through to the other side? I know you're saying it's a work in progress, but 15 years, where can you put yourself on the scale of, I don't know if the word's mental health or making peace? Help me out. What am I trying to say here? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you ever get to where, okay, that's never going to hurt again. I, I saw an illustration on Facebook the other day that I thought, was excellent. It was a drawing of a box with a great big ball inside the box. And the illustration said that the ball moves all the time. And on the inside of the box with the ball was a pain button, big red pain button. And they said, at first, with grief, that ball moves all the time. It hits the button all the time, shoots pain through you all the time. And as time goes on, the ball gets smaller but it never stops moving and the pain button doesn't ever go away. It just hits it less often. But when it does hit it, it is just as painful as it was in the beginning. I thought that was excellent. That is what it's like. Yeah, still there, but it just doesn't quite strike it as much. Mm -hmm. And you know that is another thing somebody told me was, oh, November time is always really difficult for me. And I don't know, year four or five or something, they said, don't be afraid of this. You can go down into the tunnel. You know you're going to have to, but you know there's light on the other side. Just go on down in it. You've been through it before. It'll be okay. You'll come up, and you'll learn how to do that. It doesn't cease to, to hurt. It doesn't. You just learn how. You have a Bible reading plan available on your website. Who wrote that plan, and how did it become such an important part of your journey? My husband wrote that plan. He wrote it for our church so that we would all read the Bible together that year. He started it in September, which I thought was odd. Don't you start new things like that in January? <laughs> but he didn't live till January. And so it's been, it was a very important part of my journey to get me in the Word of God, which mattered so much. Yes. Did you find when you read the Bible or heard scripture, did it speak to you differently after this? Yes. It's like the characters came to life. I could see their struggles. I could see their questions. I could hear their wrestlings. I could see myself in it. That's the secret is picking up the Bible. I've been speaking with Laura Jones. She's the author of Song of a Wounded Heart, Regaining Hope and Trust After Personal Tragedy, The Incredible True Life Story of a Woman Who Lost Everything. Where do we find your book? Where do we learn more about you? www.laurajones.org. And you spell my name L-O-R-A. And that's where you can find blogs and the book and the walk through the Bible that my husband wrote. And you can find the book at your favorite bookstore online or in town. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM The Truth. Thank you so much to my guest from liberal Kansas, Laura Jones. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.